Welcome back to Jessica and Carla's High School Reunion. Susan Stokum is our guest today. She's lived in Des Moines, Iowa since graduating from high school and is still a huge fan of Drake, her alma mater. Susan worked for the Associated Press for eight years, covering college sports and politics, as well as assigning stories and copy editing. When working 24-7 lost its appeal, Susan moved to a job in corporate communications and has worked for a financial services company in a variety of roles for more than 20 years. We were struck by how much gratitude Susan has for her friendships, the freedom to travel, and for the ease she feels in her life, stray cats and all. Enjoy this episode with our friend Susan. So yesterday, I get a text from Piper that says, Mom, we've got the tickets. We got pit tickets. They were $500 Mm -hmm. each. And I said, what? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> you said, oh, uh, is there a buyer for your kidney for that amount? Okay. <laughs> and I thought, $500 for Olivia Rodrigo? Like, I understand paying $500 for Taylor Swift. I, I actually do understand. Yes, I do. I do, too. After I saw her perform once, I would pay more to see another Taylor Swift concert. But I, I said, well, I said, how about I pay for half and that's your birthday present and you start saving up. I didn't obviously pay for this and we're gonna have to reimburse my friend, Wendy, who did, but I'm like, I, I, that just sounded insane. I know. (laughs) Well, the, the the venue here where she's performing is a 15,000 person venue. Yeah. Yes. So it's a lot smaller, smaller than SoFi Stadium. But I was really yeah. looking forward to having another like amazing, I'm such a great mom moment with Leah and a friend or two of hers. But yeah. I'm going to have to be a great mom in another way because that is not <laughs> worth it. Yeah, I, I I really didn't even know what to say after that, but um, I'm not going. So she's gonna go with her friends and she's gonna pay it off. And eh, you know what? It's a good it's a good um, learning experience that you know. Yeah, you gotta pay part of it if you want to go. So there you have it. <laughs> and that is our pop princess update. <laughs> Well, speaking of pop princesses, actually, um, I'm just still really so happy about our last interview with the pop princess of our high school uh, years, you know, our our very own Taylor Swift, um, Nancy Spencer. I <laughs> She'd love her that. That is such a, um, a surprising descriptor of her, but she does have super fans. Just- right. I think so that's, that's really, really what, what that's really what we're <laughs> alluding to here. Um, yeah, it was yeah. so great to talk with Nancy last time. And um, she just has 
been so thoughtful about how she chose to commitments work-wise, personally, to have what she wanted in her life, you know, to be super busy with kids um, at some point. And now that her kids are older, choosing to be even more immersed in school life (laughs) as a head of school. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting to think about the differences between, I think, women and men in those, in making those Mm -hmm. choices. And I know having, you know, had a husband who pursued the same career, it's just a different conversation for him. And it's not that he didn't care about his kids or anything Mm -hmm. like that. It's just that, you know, he just, he put that, I think he put, I think he put financial security Mm -hmm as a way to demonstrate his commitment to family versus time. Not that he didn't spend tons of time with kids and he did. He's been a great dad, partner, equal in many ways, but it didn't occur to him that he would, you know, that that would be a hard to do as a parent. Right. In a way that I think moms might, maybe I'm wrong, but it felt like he was thinking more along the lines of taking care of the family financially mm-hmm. versus some other way of taking care. Yeah. And I just think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I see a lot of, of friends kind of model modeling that same path of one partner tends to decide, okay, now that we've got kids, I'm going to have to take it easier work-wise and the other partner feels less that way. And typically it is the woman in the partnership. If it's a, if it's a male, female partnership, it's the woman who's, Mm -hmm. who's saying, okay, I can step back a little bit. At least that was, that was the choice that we made um, when my kids were little. And um, I don't regret that, but I am really grateful that I didn't quit working completely because I think that um, I get so much out of it um, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I enjoy it. It keeps me out of my own problems all the time. I mean, I'm still in my own problems a lot, <laughs> but when I go to work and my brain has to focus on something outside of me and my family, it's healthier for everybody. Yeah. I, I'm so grateful. I decided to keep working and it's totally an individual decision. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I don't want to make any judgment calls. However, today I was at my hot Pilates class and there was a woman I was talking to and she was saying how she was kind of, she's she's a stay at home mom. She doesn't work. She actually lives in Austin, but she's here in the Bay area for a couple of, of um, months, which is where she lived. And now she's back. Her husband, I think is a venture capitalist. Mm -hmm. And she was taught, she, I think she homeschools her children And she was talking to me today about having some challenges with her 16-year-old. And we were just sort of discussing Mm -hmm. that and feeling like it's totally a normal time for kids to push back. And she said, yeah, you know, she just wants to do whatever she wants to do. Like, she wants to go shopping with her friends. And I'm like, okay, if the mall is just 10 minutes away, that's fine. I feel okay about that. You can go to the mall. But like, if she wants to go to San Francisco, I'm like, no way. That's too far. That's a big city. You can't go there. And I thought, 
well, okay, so maybe she's a little bit protective, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> then she said, oh, well, she's got this boyfriend now and they want to go to the movies. And, you know, we're still really pretty COVID cautious. So I said to her, I'd be happy to rent out the theater what? for you. So you can go to the movies, right? <laughs> and now I'm sure that my face was like, did you tell her you could buy an Olivia Rodrigo ticket for the same price as renting out the theater? Oh my gosh. Wow. And then she said, well, what movie did she want to see? And she wanted to see Barbie. So I told her, well, you can just stay at home and watch Barbie. Right. And I thought, well, maybe this is the kind of decisions <laughs> that one makes when they do not have anything else going on I in their mean, lives. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, oh, it's hard. I know I'm, I'm really trying not to be judgy. And, oh, and, but, I, <laughs> but, I, but am. I am, I mean, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I've had parenting coaching for the, for two different children this week of mine around various neurodivergence, blah, blah, you know, stuff. I mean, the amount of just like coordination of care. And I'm, I'm like, you want to go to a movie with a friend? Excellent. Go. If it's in a neighboring state, if you got a ride, that's cool. <laughs> it's like, please be independent, build relationships and, you know, do your thing. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. wild. That's so wild. Anyhow. <laughs> and she's Austin. I mean, what? I know. Well, I'm like, there are children in San Francisco, you know, <laughs> running around wow. being high school wow. students. I thought you were going to say something about like, she wants to go to the movie with her boyfriend, but we're going to like buy extra tickets to put in between them so that they can't. <laughs> no oh and i was like covid is that a thing oh my god <laughs> plus she was in a hot pilates studio with 50 other people how cautious can you possibly be at that yeah point? <laughs> wow anyhow we've got we've got a great guest today we've Yay! got susan who's going to be coming any minute and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Susan. I've known, Su- I knew Susan from a long time before we had some shared elementary school friends. So I remember her back when she was in like fourth and fifth grade. Um, and uh, of course at the Academy, she was, I think really, really involved in being an athletic mm-hmm. trainer. As I recall. Yep. I remember um, Susan and- um, from when I played volleyball, she was a, an athletic trainer. Oh, and here she comes. Here she comes. Holy crap, you come in hot on this thing, don't you? <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Susan, we were just saying yeah. that we were remembering you doing a lot of athletic training. Yes. In high school. And then yes. I also, you and I spent a lot of time together ninth grade year. I feel like we had like four or five classes together. We Probably. went from one thing to another thing. Theater was in there, biology. Yeah. Um Mary You're probably like, when, is she still here? Yeah. <laughs> Do they do it alphabetically? Like, was it like Slade, Stokum, oh. like David Stein, Shane Straw? Did they all get sucked into that too? That could be it. <laughs> um, it could be. Yeah, it's so yeah, good to see you. 
good to see you both as well. Have you listened yeah. to any of the previous episodes? I am a loyal listener. I listened to I listened to guys last night, so awesome. I'm good. I'm all caught up. I get gold star. <laughs> you too. Right? I, I love that you're doing this. I feel really bad for the people that might be saying to you, oh, my life's not as interesting as other people. So I'm here, like I'm in Des Moines, Iowa. I work in insurance. I am so single that stray cats show up on my porch. So come at me with not interesting people, right? <laughs> no way, no way. You are always, always looking like, I was just, we were saying, you're always looking like you're living a fun It is time it is wherever you are you always seem to have tons of friends trying lots of fun drinks and places to go out you've got a much better that's, social life than that's i do the facebook so. highlight reel right <laughs> exactly that's it. of course well susan Hello. welcome it's so great to see you and we are so happy you're here and we always start this podcast with the same question which is what have you been doing for the last 35 years? Jeez. So um, I came to Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa for college with no intention of staying in Des Moines, Iowa after college. And I'm still in Des Moines, Iowa. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't plan that. But, you know, you look back at those decision moments that lead you to be like, you know, should I stay or should I go? And it always just was a, a stay. Um, I'll just go into like the history, like how I, how I even stayed here after college. Um, I was a newspaper journalism major at Drake back in the days when people, you know, still read newspapers. I mean, I had to learn how to lay them out and design them and all that stuff. Um, but I graduated in three and a half years, thanks to our AP classes and one mm -hmm. super fun summer staying in Des Moines, <laughs> getting a couple classes knocked out. But so I graduated in December of 1992. And so I really only had a senior semester. I didn't have a senior year. Um, I had a really heavy class load because I was trying to cram in all the late stuff or all the last minute stuff. I was also an athletic trainer at Drake. So I worked in the training room for our sports teams there, you know, football season and such. I was in a sorority. Um, don't judge. Um, but I was an officer in the sorority. And then I got an internship with the Associated Press in Des Moines, Iowa, in their newsroom. Yeah. And it was a sports-based internship. You know, at first I was only supposed to collect scores and that kind of stuff, but they quickly realized I could read a box score. So they let me start writing some articles off of box scores. Really simple stuff. You know, Joe Player ran for 182 yards and three touchdowns Saturday as this team beat that team. I mean, the AP seriously has robots doing it now. Um, so mm -hmm. I was replaced by robots eventually. But the, the internship yeah. ran into the spring semester for basketball season. So I decided I was going to come back to Des Moines, which was, again, not in the plan. I was going to come back to Des Moines for the spring semester for my basketball season internship. I was going to live on a, you know, in a campus house with a friend. Um, I was going to get a job at the mall to help pay the bills. And then I was going to have my senioritis semester. Um, and I was just going to have fun and party with my friends at all the campus bars because I could when I wasn't, you know, working my mall job or my internship. Um, and I came home for Christmas and for Jen Bob Anderson's wedding. And the day of their wedding, the Associated Press offered me a full-time job starting the first Monday of January in the newsroom. So no senioritis, <laughs> no mall job. And I live in Des Moines now, right? So um, I spent seven <laughs> super fun years, um, eight total, but seven super fun years at the Associated Press. Um, yeah, that last year was kind of brutal. 
Um, just, I reported on everything. I covered college sports. I covered, you know, if a professional, we don't have a lot of professional sports in Des Moines, but you know, like we would get some just, you know, niche opportunities, a ton of politics. Um, like even today we have presidential contenders tripping over it themselves in Iowa, you know, for a caucus that's, you know, five months away and they've been doing it for a year and a half. Um, state politics. Um, I eventually worked up to run the supervising desk. So I was assigning out all of the reporters and I was one of the final copy editors before things got filed live to the wire. Like I said, seven really fun years. And then the eighth year, um, I just wasn't melding well with management. I was kind of at a point where if I wanted to go any further, I had to leave Des Moines. And they were like, well, we have lovely opportunities in Jackson, Mississippi. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to go to Jackson, Mississippi. Um, so the time came when I was just like, okay, I don't have that much like passion for daily journalism anymore. I mean, you you can burn out if you don't if you don't watch it. Mm-hmm. So I um, went to a corporate America job where I've been now for 22 years. I work for a finance. I seriously work for an insurance company. I work for financial services. Um, I lead a, a sales and a marketing and lead generation team, and I really enjoy doing that. And you know, every time you think you're gonna pack up and leave, something gives you a new opportunity at your company or you know, now I'm just, I'm here. I don't, I don't love it here anymore. Um, Iowa is, used to be super pr- progressive, was like at the forefront of like marriage equality and was so friendly to refugees. And now we're book banners. So mm-hmm. um, I don't mm-hmm. love it here much, but I got to stay here and spend my money on the thing that all those people hate just to tick them off, <laughs> just to fight them, <laughs> just to be like, I know you don't want me here and you're trying to force me out, but I'm staying. Huh. <laughs> So fascinating. Yeah. So that was welcome to Word Vomit with Susan Stokum. No, it was so great. Actually, I I had a question from the moment you started, which is is, about Iowa. I feel like I remember you wanting to go to Iowa in high school, and like really liking the idea of Iowa, and um, I. I mean, I remember you went to Drake and that's there, but did you have family did, in Iowa? Good memory. Was yes, I did. Yeah, my, my grandparents, my mother came from Iowa. My mom like grew up in Des Moines. My mom and dad actually both went to Drake, um, oh, which, okay. you know, in the 90s has nothing to do with like legacy admissions or anything like that, right? Like I did not go to Drake because my parents got me in. <laughs> Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't even going to go to, I wasn't even going to come to college in Iowa. Like we came to Des Moines to visit my grandma. But my dad wanted to go on a tour of Drake campus summer before my senior year. And so I was his excuse. He wanted to see the campus. So he was like, you have to go look at Drake to compare it to the schools you really want to go to because we call it the tour of where everything didn't used to be because he pointed at every building and was like, that didn't used to be here. That didn't used to be here. Um, I was like, I'm like apologizing to this tour guide. But they had me meet with the dean of the journalism school. They gave us a lovely campus tour. And I like bought seven Drake sweatshirts at the bookstore and came back to school. And I was like, I'm going to Drake. And with me, the college counselor was like, do you want to apply to? I'm like, nope, I'm going to Drake. Well, what about, nope, I'm going to Drake. What, nope, nope. So I just knew I was accepted by December and I was done. Wow. So maybe you had a senioritis semester in high school. (laughs) I don't know that we were allowed those I don't remember if I did or not so I'm curious about your years covering politics in Iowa because in the last year or so in my work I've started focusing um, 
more on countering polarization, bridge building, mm-hmm. how we kind of get out of this us versus them. If you don't agree with me, you're a demon mentality. Yeah. And I'm wondering what you see in Iowa. How, has there been a, a change in it's all, I mean, it's always been, I think a heightened, a place where people are more politically aware than in a lot of other places. But yeah. I'm wondering, are you seeing that same kind of polarization there? Or do you feel like folks there have a more nuanced view of things? I, I would say probably the moderates used to have a more nuanced view of things like we always had in Iowa, you know, and I'm, I'm going to be very stereotypical. So anyone from Iowa that happens across this, I know you're probably the exception to this. I'm sorry. But Northwest Iowa tends to be especially very, very conservative. I mean, if we, we had a congressman named Steve King, who was, you know, completely had some kind of ineffective, but had some really radical, like white separatist, like style views of it. Um, then you get a little bit more into like Eastern Iowa and it tends to be a lot more union. So it tends to be a lot more like Democrats. That's where our larger liberal university, the University of Iowa is. And then it was always in, always into like Des Moines where it could kind of go either way. Right. And there were moderates and there were times back in different times where like I could vote for candidates that simply because of their party. Now I would never support no matter how much I appreciated their character. I just wouldn't feel like they were working for me. I just feel like the influences on politics, like one person with your voice, sometimes it's really easy to feel like there's so much big money, like stuff coming to politics that the big money is forcing them to go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter where their voters sit in the middle. It is, you know, a thousand voters in the middle can't counteract millions of dollars to the right or to the left. Mm-hmm. So that's a really, <laughs> thanks. This is a happy conversation with Susan, <laughs> but. Well, you do have a, a, a different viewpoint on it being in Iowa. I mean, in, in Texas, everything is preordained pretty much at a statewide level. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of suspense. Um, yeah. I'm on the other I, side of that continuum <laughs> in California. Yeah, so. it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard it's, to see a state, like I said, I mean, we were, you know, and, and I don't mean to make it Republican or Democrat, but we had a Republican governor, Bob Ray, who was known as one of the most welcoming people to refugees. And then his successor, Terry Branstead, another Republican was just, he just seemed to be able to build bridges down. And I mean, and I covered the last years of the Branstead administration and the first years of like the first Democrat that we'd had in the governor's office in like 50 years Tom Vilsack, who's now Secretary of Agriculture, like I covered, um, you know, Republican and Democrat, and and it just still felt like I was in the state house at that time too, covering our local legislature, and it just felt like there wasn't vitriol or hate or anything like that. There were absolutely disagreements, and there was a little bit of that. Well, that guy voted against this, or this guy voted against that, or this woman. But it just feels like it's so like just the tenor just matches like mm-hmm. so many other tenors in our country, where it's like, ugh. It's just so hateful sometimes. It is. It's hard to yeah. stay engaged. Mm-hmm. I worked at CNN my senior year in co- no, my junior year in college yeah. at the in the political unit, and it was the Bill Clinton mm-hmm. um, election. So it was. I worked on the Inside Politics show, and I don't remember right feeling the crazy mm-hmm. of today. And, you know, I felt that CNN was seen at that time as pretty 
neutral in terms of yeah you know the it was just sharing what was happening it was data people believed yeah. it because cnn <laughs> but at that time too cnn was one of the only games in town right like yeah. cnn was this new cable news network you know like we had had times where you read your daily newspaper mm-hmm. you got your news from your daily newspaper you're driving the car during drive time or your you know 5 p.m 6 p.m news mm-hmm. And, and maybe right. your town had two newspapers. Maybe you had a morning paper and an afternoon paper, right? Like maybe you had that. Um, then CNN comes along and all of a sudden news is available 24 hours a day on your TV. Mm-hmm. And they were the only show in town there. Mm-hmm. Then they start to get those competitions from the other ones. And you can start to see like even in towns that had two newspapers, you could always tell one was going to take a different slant on something and not just because it was an afternoon and a half day later, Right. I honestly can't remember, but I feel like the Tribune was probably, if we were to map it out today, maybe the Tribune was, maybe it was a little more liberal, or maybe I'm just thinking because it was softer news because it was the afternoon from the Journal and Trib in Albuquerque. Yes. But, you know, when you start to have the, you know, the CNNs and then all of a sudden, you know, Fox is like, we could have a 24 hour news channel mm-hmm. and NBC says we could launch MSNBC and someone else says we yeah. could launch this. And then someone else with a lot of money says, well, I could launch my own. And then someone else with even more money than them that has opposite views says I can launch my own. Then that's where it starts to get crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting <laughs> to me how much I, I have to make myself look at the news now. You do. Um, because I mean, it's like gearing myself up. Like, am I ready? Okay. Um, and that's such a sad, uh, it makes me, it, it makes me worried for, for all of us that um, there aren't a lot of times when I read the newspaper and I think, you know, I really care about this issue and I see a way that I can engage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, I think that like sometimes the news consumerism is as much at fault for the decline of our, how we take in and accept information. Mm-hmm. You know, just like people are like, well, I, I read it on the internet. You're like, from who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> talking to a friend of mine yeah. who's, you know, trying to raise a 17 year old and a 21 year old. She was in journalism school with me. And she's like, we're constantly talking at the dinner table, you know, cause one of them will say, well, I saw it on TikTok." And she's like, well, what did, what did Fox news say about it? Did Fox news cover it? And they'll be like, I don't know. And she's like, and if Fox News covers it, then you go and see what MSNBC says about it. And then you go and see what like a New York Times or a Wall Street Journal or something like that says about it. She's like, you don't just take a single source on things. Yeah, that's called lateral, (laughs) lateral reading, you know, or lateral research. And it's really something that kids need to be taught these days. They don't they just don't know it. They look at one and they go deeper as opposed to laterally and thinking Mm -hmm. across, you know? I'm curious, Susan, though, like what was it inside of you that knew that it was time to leave that world? Because clearly you're like interested in it. Yeah. What was going on for you inside when you were like this? I'm done here. This is really not. Yeah. You know, it's so it's it's 2000, 2001. It was probably Mm -hmm. around the holidays of the of 2000 that I was like, to, to, you know, like I, I was done. I was like, I cannot turn 30 in this job. I'd been there since I was 21, you know, and, and you, you, you go hard and you go fast. And we were a small office and I was trying to push ahead. And so I was sacrificing nights and sacrificing weekends. And, you know, then I would come home and I would, you know, my friends would be like, what'd you, what'd you cover? And I'm like, oh, there was a murder in this town. And 
you know, like this did this. And, you know, you got this statewide view of all this horrible stuff happening. And, it, you know, um, and then, like I said, I, I wasn't, I wasn't enjoying the people that I worked with as much, which is, you know, just probably as much my fault as theirs. But I said, I'm not going to turn 30 in this job. And so I just started actively looking, but it was just pure, like, it probably could have, it could have been any job. It might not have been the daily news, but there's just that time when you just regret having to go in there and see those people and Mm -hmm. stare at that computer and edit that copy and know that this reporter is going to yell at you for this, or this person in New York, you know, our our main editing desk is going to not understand this about Iowa. Um, It's, and it's a, you know, it was, um, it was fun at the time, but it was like a, it was a, it was kind of a mean newsroom. Like, it was very normal for people to slam phones down or to kick things or to shout at things or to yell at each other, cussing, answer the blank, 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 blank phone. You know, I think about that. I'm like, that probably wasn't healthy either. You know, mm-hmm. we, <laughs> so it was just ready. I, I landed in corporate America and I called some of my friends and I'm like, it is like summer camp here. Like these people don't work after four o'clock on Fridays. I don't know what they do with their time, but they like shut down. How, who does that? <laughs> There's an entire world out there of people who actually don't think about work on Saturdays. And how did you find that job? I mean, it sounds like a pretty different role than what you were doing previously. Talk, can you talk a little bit about what drew you to it and the skills that transferred or didn't? And I started looking for anything. And again, I was, I mean, this was before, you know, like job searching sites or anything like that, right? This was, you had to go to your newspaper and look in the little like personals. So I'm like, ah, the irony of looking in a newspaper to get out of my newspaper job. I just started circling everything that had communications, right? I was interviewing at state agencies to be their spokespeople. I was interviewing at a department store to be the copy editor for their advertising. And then my company, again, big fortune 500 financial services company was looking for someone that would write and edit articles for their internet site. And I'm like, I can write and edit articles. They're like, can you interview employees? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> can you can you proofread someone else's story? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, you know. And then so, I mean, it, re- it really was like a good transition, right? Because it really was writing and editing versus having to learn like the PR skills that I didn't have at that time. Or mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it was seriously, it was just seriously luck. They just happened to be looking for someone. And yeah, I just happened to be looking at that time. So, and like I said, 22 years later, right? Here I am. Been, Would you like to talk about you your insurance? Replaced. You haven't been replaced by any robots. I have not been replaced by any robots. So, you know, score one, <laughs> score one for that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sort of curious what, now that you have a little free time, on Friday afternoons <laughs> or on the weekends, and you're not yes. carrying around all of that, um, all of that. worry <laughs> or thinking about work right. or doing work. What are you really enjoying in in your in your life so outside I'm, of that nine to five work? I am fortunate to have several really great circles of friends in Des Moines. You know, because I still have some college friends. It's interesting mm-hmm. to me that the, that the circles of friends don't always overlap, right? Like you would think. You know, I'm having like a George Costanza world collide, Jerry. And it's actually like really true. Like, like I try and get my college friends together thinking they're just absolutely going to love my media friends. And, you know, then one of them will be like, man, let's not hang out with your, you know, that friend again. They annoy me. And I'm like, but, but you're all my friends. Can't you all 
you know, so, I mean, I have my, mm. some of my college friends, I have my media friends still, and then I have my friends that I've met through work. And I mean, I just enjoy good happy hours. I love to travel. Um, I go to more happy hours. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, and then some nights I just come home and I do absolutely nothing and I love it. You know, Are you I remembering really, correctly that you did a trip to Ireland with your mom? Yes, I did. We, um, yeah, we hired and we hired a driver, which I mean, I know that like Gail and Bruce Montgomery, like Bruce just drove them all over Ireland. God love you, Bruce, because there was absolutely no way that I was going to get in the wrong side of the car on the wrong side of the road with my mother when all I really wanted to do was go to the next pub. Right. Like, right. <laughs> and she knew it. She was like, well, don't you think we could rent a car? And I'm like, no, I am not driving you. So we hired a driver mm-hmm. and he took us all around. And when he was about to take us to our third church, I was able to say, I don't need to see another church. Take <laughs> us to a pub, Michael. Um, so yeah, so I've, I've been to Ireland. Um, I have been to Portugal. I have been to Spain and Italy and France and the Netherlands, um, Amsterdam, Belgium. Um, I don't know if you were being ironic with Jenny Tung when you joked about going on a cruise of the Danube. No. Right? Like, I don't know if we were talking about, like, that's what old people do now is go on a cruise of the Danube. No, I think she wants to do that. I'm going on a cruise of the Danube next Thursday. (laughs) Wait, you are going? Next Thursday in six days. (laughs) I was like, maybe Jenny will be on the cruise with (laughs) you. Wait a minute. Are they making fun of people that go on Danube cruises or are they saying it sounds like fun? (laughs) Because... Getting a little close to home. So yeah, so I leave, you know, we're going to do um, Hungary, Austria, Slovakia, and um, Germany. So what happens with your cats when you're traveling? Oh, jeez, those cats. Um, that'll be a good question because I just adopt, well, I just adopted one, which is a loose term because it's a stray that showed up on my porch because I think it could smell the singleness. Um, there's a single woman inside. I'm pretty sure that's pay dirt. Um, but she is currently hiding underneath a bookshelf and my other one currently hisses at her every time she walks by. So in a few hours, I have this wonderful professional cat sitting company that will come into the house. And so they're going to come in literally in a few hours and I'm going to be like, so here's the situation. That one's under the bookshelf, literally like right here to, to my right. This one that you all think is so sweet is actually a little bit of an a-hole right now. So yeah, luckily, but that's ultimately why I'm a cat person and not a dog person. Cause I, I, you know, thought about getting a puppy my early days at the AP, but the last thing I wanted to do getting off shift at, you know, two 30 in the morning was come home to my college neighborhood, which wasn't always in, you know, the best neighborhood and walk a puppy, right? Like it just, or to think that I could come home at lunch and have news break and not make it home for another 10 hours. It's not a good lifestyle for a dog. So yeah. I ended up with cats. I love them most of the time. Cats are awesome. Mm-hmm. And they are a lot more low maintenance. They are. I know this because I've had both. Yes. And Unless you trap yeah, one on your porch. Right <laughs> it yeah. happens to be pregnant. Two dogs right now and they are expensive and high maintenance. Yes. Yes. Even though they're low maintenance dogs, <laughs> they're still like compared to a cat. It's a, yeah. It's a different level of, of commitment. <laughs> well, I, I love them, but like I said, we'll see. I'll be, I'll be an ocean away. They can close them into like separate rooms for all I care, as long as they are healthy and fed and, you know, not tearing up the place. We'll fix it when I get back. 
Well, it sounds like there's been a lot of constancy in your life in terms of two long runs in Mm -hmm. work, staying in Des Moines. I'm sure under the surface, there have been pivot points or changes. (laughs) Yeah. So can can you share a little bit about maybe one or two ways or moments, I guess, when you've felt like, despite the fact that I'm still in the same job that I've been in for the last 15 years, like there is, there is a change that maybe isn't as obvious as an update on my LinkedIn profile. Um, yeah, because with, within like a world of corporate America communications, which is what I do largely, it's, um, and luckily with a company as big as mine, 18,000 employees, you can, you can pivot a lot. Pivot. Oh God. Corporate America jargon alert. Um, you can, you know, pivot, pivot, pivot. Um, <laughs> they don't like it when I do that in meetings, when someone in all earnesty says the word pivot is in like change directions. And I go into my Ross Geller and start yelling. So, um, so let me just think of some of those like just like points because I started in 2001 um, and then, I mean, things were things were really, really great. And then 2008, you know, and, and if I think about, you know, how I've avoided seven year itches, you know, from all my other jobs, 2008, I worked for a financial services company as the entire financial services industry collapses. Yeah, that was scary. So our stock sure. that I think today was trading at $76 was trading for $4. So you don't get a seven year itch when you're constantly worried that, you know, you're going to look over your shoulder waiting for HR to come mm-hmm. tap you on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, obviously came through that. My company really weathered it very well. Um, and then I was asked to move out. I, I worked, I typically work in our sales organization. I love working in sales. I'm not a salesperson, just like I was an athlete. I was an athletic trainer. I wasn't on stage. I was the props person. I am in sales operations, but, um, they asked me to go over and lead our global human resources communications team. So we have employees in Chile and India and Hong Kong and Mexico, um, all over the world. And we were trying to bring a uniform performance management and compensation practices that at least felt global in nature. You know, obviously you have to consider different things when you pay people, but also performance management, what a successful employee looks like in India feels like a successful employee in the United States feels like a successful employer employee in Chile. So I got to lead those efforts for like three years for increased pay transparency, communications, global HR practices. Um, it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun, but my heart is in sales, right? I don't like being, I don't like being that much overhead in corporate America. I want to get back out to where the closer to where the money is actually made. So then there was an opportunity to go back into the sales organization um, through some heavy regulatory change and communicate um, some Department of Labor and Securities and Exchange Commission were heavily regulated. So there was some heavy regulatory change. And then from there, it just kind of grew into the current marketing lead generation kind of thing. So while it may look like the title has been like communications consultant, senior communications consultant, communications manager, communications director kind of thing, Mm -hmm. there's a lot that changes. Thanks for for asking about that because it is an acknowledgement that there's a lot more that happens than just a straight line through like a communications role. And it sounds like a lot of different skills too. I mean, change management is real different than proofreading copy. 
It is. Yeah. It is. Which is what, which is where you don't give yourself enough credit when you come out of college with a newspaper degree. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, I landed at, at, um, my company's called principal. I landed at principal and I'm like, I can write and I can edit copy. And luckily I've had leaders that have been like, I think you can do more, which they don't ask you that in the newspaper industry. Right. Mm-hmm. They're like, good. Then write more copy and edit more copy. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, they don't ever be ask you like the other things you can do. So that's probably a real mm-hmm. fortunate thing. But they're like, no, you could probably do change management and speech writing. And I bet you could plan entire events for 500 employees. And I bet you could, you know, figure out how to best, you know, not just translate, but transcreate materials into Spanish. <laughs> like, uh, I don't speak Spanish. They're like, we don't want you to speak Spanish. We want you to figure out how to make our materials culturally and grammatically relevant in this country. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun with that. Yeah, that's really cool. I really loved your reflection and maybe you have had this reflection on yourself in the past, but this idea that you really can lead from not the center position, but sometimes Mm -hmm. from the side. And I mean, right. Like everything that you have done has been critical to the success of your organization or the sports team or whatever. Little shopping touring show. I mean, right. Right. And, um, you know, I think it, it's true. Like, you know, those, those roles are so critical Mm -hmm. to the success of the bigger picture and to, um, and I just love that you sort of called that out in terms of your own. Yeah. Know your place. Know your place. In fact, in one point in time when they were like, they were trying to like get us more sensitive to what our salespeople go through. So they had me take the assessment for like, if I would make a good salesperson, and they're like, you would be bad at this job. They're like, could you even sell Girl Scout cookies? And I'm like, no, my mom bought them all. And they're like, yes, I, I cannot ask for money. Like fundraising, God love you. Because, you know, like I'm sitting there, you know, I'm like, uh, I, I can't ask people for money. I'll just, I'll just write the check myself, which is, so yeah, that's know your place. I'm not a salesperson. That's so great. Very cool. Well, on the flip side of that, you know, it sounds like you sort of know a certain amount of yourself and there's some consistency, but is there anything that surprises you in this moment about your life? You know, you're 52 ish, 51, 52. I think I just turned 52. That's right. Okay. So your 52 year old self, like, are you, besides still being in Iowa, you've covered that. Is there anything else that's like, Oh yeah. Surprising. And maybe even like, maybe even just sort of like joyful, really delightful that you wouldn't have expected. Um, I think, I think the most joyful thing that surprises me is, um, like I remember like that trip to Ireland, like that trip to Ireland was a bucket list trip, right? Mm -hmm. Like I had at that time, I had three things on my bucket list. I had never seen you two live. I had wanted to go to Ireland and I had never seen Bruce Springsteen live. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like when I crossed all three of those things off the bucket list, it seemed infinitely monumental. And it was kind of like this what next moment. Yeah. Um, but now I now I think about it, I mean, this is gonna sound this is gonna sound horrible. So I want to just admit that it's coming from a great place of great privilege. But I am going, I'm going on a cruise of the Danube in six days. And for, you know, 35-year-old Susan, that would have been a bucket list. And for now 52-year-old Susan, it's 
I'm minimizing it and I'm going to sound like such a gross person, but it's this year's vacation. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm at a point in my life where it's like, I don't have to plan ahead for these big bucket list things. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I can do some things that I really, really want to do that, um, that don't awesome. have to feel like these big monumental, these big monumental check, check them off my list. Now, I reserve the right to say that, you know, when I finally make it to like Egypt or when I finally make it to like Asia, um, when I finally overcome all of my like standing potty resistance that I could actually travel to Asia comfortably, that will be the bucket list. Then I'll come back and I won't seem so um, privileged and entitled as I probably just did there. No, I mean, I think the fact that you're aware of, you're articulating a, a, a huge amount of gratitude for the ability to do that and for it not to be something that's incredibly stressful or mm-hmm. like I better get every single minute of joy out of this because that's it. There's nothing right. else coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I, that sounds yeah. fantastic. And and I did do a cruise um, in the Netherlands, a riverboat type of cruise. It was awesome. Mm. You're going to have such a nice. good time. It's such a nice yeah. way to see a country. It is. It's just lovely. Right. Just like, Wake me up when we've like, you know, floated into the next one or even better, wake me up while we're floating and let me drink as it floats by. (laughs) (laughs) So do you still have a bucket list? Um, I guess if I thought about it, you know, I would like to, I would like to go to other continents, right? I've been to, you know, North America, Europe. I mean, you know, Asia is probably something that I would really, I would really love to figure out a way that I could do that. And that would be completely out of my comfort zone, right? Like there's so many things that would be out of my comfort zone on that. Um, South America doesn't seem as like daunting or intimidating. I'd love to visit South America. So I think that probably not limiting myself to just the U.S., you know, U.S., Canada, Mexico, and Europe would probably be something that I would have to think about as a bucket list, a big trip like that. Yeah. I know there's a lot of parts of the world I still need to see for sure. What do you see yourself doing in the next 10 years that might be different or the same? What's really out there in the future for you? Um, I hope that by age 57 and a half, which seems to be a very magic age in my company, you know, I don't know if it's because we help people plan for retirement, but it seems like at age 57 and a half, so many people in our company are like, this is the point now where I only work as long as it's fun, right? Like they've done all the retirement planning and everything like that. And you can just kind of see them. You're like, you're one reorg away from walking, aren't you? You're like one, you know, bad assignment. And so I would love to be in that position in five years. And then I just, there will be no more cats adopted. This is it. Um, but I will, I just want to say that now. You say that now until now. the next stray wanders. No, but dude, this, this little one is like a year old, which means I'm committed until I'm like 70 to that thing. If her kidneys hold out, that was not in the plan. <laughs> I would like to send a message to the cat distribution network that, that no moss, you tapped out. Um, no, I just, I just hope that I'm like, just, I just want to travel once I'm done working. Which doesn't seem much different because I'm traveling while I'm working, but I just want to travel. I'll probably volunteer more once I retire. Um, that's just the plan, right? I'm just going to live. That's great. So good. 
so good. I love that it isn't a very long to-do list of everything you still need to accomplish before death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going with the flow and seeing what opportunities arise and having a general idea, I think is, sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just sounds like you've just made a great life for yourself. I think so. And- I mean, yeah, this is going to be the highlight reel there. You know, I had, a, I had a tremendous health scare at the end of 2019 into 2020 so, I mean, I don't want people yeah. to come away thinking, oh, Susan Stokum, who said her life wasn't interesting, has this perfect life. Um, I don't. I was in the hospital for seven weeks, um, right. you know, wow. half of December and all of January. Um, and then, of course, six weeks later, the world shuts down with COVID. Right. right? In so, some ways, you got really lucky there. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, actually having to like quarantine, because I would have had to quarantine anyway. My immune system was shot. I, I mean. Like at a high level, I had sepsis. I had been, I was taken to the hospital in an ambulance in kidney failure. My liver was like in horrible shape, Um, all of this stuff. So when I get out of the hospital and I finally get cleared from home health care, I'm thinking, you know, you you mourn all the stuff that you're not going to get to do, right? I'm like, all my friends are going to start going to like March Madness stuff and I'm going to miss Drake relays, which is a huge thing for a Drake alumni that happens in April. I'm, I'm just thinking, cause you know, my doctor's like, you're going to have to lay low for like three to six months. Right. You're, you're, you know, and then all of a sudden <laughs> like the world shuts down and all of my friends are in the same, my friends would not have had zoom Yahtzee games every Sunday if it hadn't been COVID times. Right. Like they would not have thought about, they would have been like, Oh, Hey Susan, we'll wave to you, you know, as we drive by your house, but got to go to this. Yeah. Um, so in a way, I mean, it was probably, you know, it was, it was just a healing time for me, right? Because I could be, you know, just focused in on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Focused in on me, yeah. I should say, without feeling like the world was was passing by. And I think it made all of us just more empathetic to what people that live very isolating lives can can feel. Absolutely. Yeah. That must have been so scary to be going through um, all of that and and this may be too um this may be too personal a question have, but have my... you met word vomit susan no. <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking about how i would feel in that situation and that i would feel grateful that i have a partner mm-hmm. who can mm-hmm. feed the dog or you know take care of stuff and then I'm coming home and I'm going to need you to change some things around the house so that I can get around as a single yeah. person. Yeah. How did you think about that? How did you navigate it? Yeah. So my mom came up from New Mexico and spent four months here, right? Like oh. I put her on a plane back home. I was finally healthy enough to like do my own laundry St. Patrick's day, <laughs> like okay. in March of March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Right. So I put my 80 year old mother on a plane right at the onset of a oh my gosh, right. Like four days before right. things were shutting right. down. Luckily we had stockpiled a whole bunch of masks from when I was in the hospital. So she had a mask and no one else did, but no, you're, I mean, thank you. You're right. It is like, you know, um, even, even like, you know, trying to get someone to, you know, help me admit that I needed to call the ambulance. Right. Like I finally texted a friend and I said, Hey, could you bring me some white bread and some apple juice? I don't feel well. And she walks into my kitchen and she's like, oh, holy crap. Right. And so, I mean, I have friends, right. We get mom up here. 
Um, I had friends that would like drive my mom and pick her up to the hospital every day, right? She doesn't know Des Moines anymore, but I would have a friend who on her way to work would drive mom to the hospital and pick her up. Like you said, when I was coming home and I wanted, I have like a really low platform bed and I needed a higher up bed. And then they were going to install like a little rail to help me sit up on it. Mm -hmm. Um, my friends came over and did all of that. I needed a new railing, like to help me get up into the stairs. My friends rallied around that. So it was, it was amazing when you had, you know, that, that's the benefit of having lived in Des Moines and accrued, you know, 35 years, 30 years of the time worth of friends is that anyone was willing. You know, we had meals yeah. every night for, you know, six weeks. We had Amazing. people that would be like, okay, I'm going to the grocery store. What can I get? I'm going to this. So, yeah, it's, it's I mean, I, and I know that there are like lonely people that don't have family or like, what if my mom couldn't have come up? What if my, you know, my dad has passed away, but what if my dad was like so ill back in Albuquerque? You know I mean? He would have been right. 86 at the time. What if my mom couldn't have left my dad or what if all of those things, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, mm -hmm. that's where you, you, you think, you know, goodness that you would be in a place where you could hire people to come in and help you if you didn't, you know, but if you didn't have the money, if you didn't have the friends, if you didn't have the family, that's, that's where it really goes South. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I'm glad you're okay. I'm, glad you're I'm so glad. <laughs> I know. And, and, I know. And, People say that like, you should, you should think of yourself as a sepsis survivor, the same way that like other folks think of themselves as survivors. And I'm like, really? Like my friend from, from England says that their entire, like, like she said, our sepsis organization is as big as like your American cancer society. And I'm like, oh, I don't think it's that big a deal, but apparently I should not minimize it. How does one even get sepsis? Um, you ignore your gallbladder. So don't do that. Oh. That's one way of getting it. That's how I got it is I ignored a, a gallbladder attack. Mm -hmm. So, and it waged war on every other organ. Right. <laughs> so and I ignored that and thought that maybe white bread and apple juice would help. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad your friend talked you in the, in the, like, you oh, know, yeah. not you into your senses. Yeah. <laughs> So. Well, I don't know if this is the same for you, but I know that when I went through some particularly hard times and I had to lean really hard on my friends, well, I shouldn't say I had to, but I chose to lean really hard on my friends mm -hmm. that rather than them feeling burdened, they felt mm -hmm. honored and it, yeah. it helped our relationship become deeper and more authentic. And now I have more confidence that if they needed help, they would be like, I'm going to, I'm going to be okay calling Jessica. She's not going to, you know, blow me off or think I'm being a pain. Um, it, it, I mean, yeah. it's, it's interesting how we do that because like I, um, you know, so before really drive up groceries really became a thing at the onset of COVID, like when you, before you could just like, now we take it for granted. You just pull up curbside and you pick up your groceries. They shop for you, right? That wasn't as big of a thing. So I had a friend who every Friday would add my grocery list to hers. Mm -hmm. And then I finally started saying, well, why don't you give me your Amazon list? And then I'll order your Amazon and have it delivered to my house. And then when you drop my groceries off, you can pick up your Amazon. Well, she just had foot surgery and she calls me and she's like, hey, I need some help. And I hate to ask, but could you pick up my groceries on Friday? And I'm like, yeah. Could you do it for me every day for two months at the onset of a global pandemic when I can't leave my house? Of course I can pick up your groceries for you. I'm like, come on folks. Why don't, why don't we ask more? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't have to do everything alone. Right. No. And I think Jessica, you're right. It just leads to closer friendships and yeah. So much of our 
so much of the way we live right now is really about how can we do it by ourselves. And in fact, even if you think about the interfaces that we choose to use to do many of the things that we do, like, oh, I'd rather not talk to a person on the phone. It's so much easier to text or to email or to, and it breaks down those interstitial moments when you're with people and having those conversations. And so, yeah, that the, the other interesting thing, and maybe Jessica, you found this is that sometimes people, they want to help, but they just say, oh, hey, do you need help? And it's like, my friend once likened that to seeing someone that's like struggling in a pool and being like, are you drowning? Do you need help? Instead of just throwing the life preserver, <laughs> right? Like, don't, yeah. don't wait for them to tell you yeah. what they need. Yeah. Just do something for them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No. So, yeah. 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 Knowing yeah. how to help and feeling like there's a way to do that without being intrusive. That's a skill too. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. Ah, amazing. Yeah. Well, should we do our flashback? Flashback. Flashback. <laughs> I was telling Jessica that I have known you for a really long time. San- because- are we all Sandia Prep days or are we? We're Sandia Prep, but I knew you through Susan Spidal. Oh, that's right. Susan Spidal. Mm-hmm. She drew so many horses. She loved horses. <laughs> Because she's a big animal vet. I mean, that's oh my gosh. I mean, she uh, lives in Oregon, outside of Portland. You'll have to tell me I I said hello. She was, um, she was because when we were in elementary school together, um, up in the Northeast Heights, you know, we were in the same class, and she was, I think, Susan Elaine Spidel, and I'm Susan Elizabeth Stokum. So we couldn't do like Susan E. We couldn't do like Susan S. We couldn't do like even do S E S. Yeah, I think that I had to go by, I think I had to go by either Susie or Susan too. And I think that's the only time in my life I ever let myself be called Susie in any sort of like setting. Um, And I don't know if it was because she came first in the alphabet or we used to sit together in like third grade and our teacher, Mr. Tutelamundo, when we talked too much, had these wax lips that he would put on our desks so that everyone would know that we were chatterboxes. (laughs) I have some weird memories of being at her house I think with you mm-hmm. and Atari had just come out like pong and we were like we are gonna play pong and break out like super breakout yeah. for like hours oh my it was like the beginning of the computer yeah. game world home computer yeah. games and crazy yeah. yeah so that's my that's my earliest yeah, that memories was, that was really old school yeah that that, that was Susan back. with all the strawberries on her shirt. That was the Susan that we, uh... <laughs> totally. well, when you think about yourself in high school, what stands out to you? Um, I don't, I mean, I, I remember having like my, my core group of friends, you know, Amy and Jeff and Deborah and Heidi and Holly and Matt and I remember that we did a ton together, but we probably didn't do as much with like a lot of the other folks in our class. And I don't, I don't remember why that was. I don't think it was any sort of like feeling of being left out, but we were so, we were so like tight knit and did so much stuff together and had so much fun that I just, I loved hanging out with them and we would just do silly things like go to parks and go bowling. And so I think that, you know, I kind of, you know, I think I just kind of, without, I don't think that we were, I don't think we were cool enough to be considered a click. Um, but I think that we were kind of insulated from a lot of the other high school stuff. Mm. You don't realize it until like at the time looking back, right? Like at the time, if you would have asked me in high school, I would have been like, oh yeah, I'm involved in everything. And now I look back and I'm like, 
we did scavenger hunts. What? <laughs> <laughs> what high school was that? Um, so maybe yeah. you were traveling in, in August is when we did <laughs> I, them. I doubt that. I doubt that. My my like um, my dad used to have this phrase. Do you guys have like restaurants like Perkins or Denny's or like those kinds of like yeah, even yeah. like IHOP? My dad would be like, yeah, you know, that person is kind of like the menu at a Perkins. It neither inspires nor offends, right? So I think I neither was, you know, we obviously weren't the most, you know, popular or beloved, but I also um, am really, really grateful. I'm sure that there was some bullying that happened in our class. Um, I wish, probably wish that I would have seen it and stopped it, but um, at least I wasn't subject to it. So I think we're kind of in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I haven't heard that yet. Um, I, I, so far what I've been noticing is that people have really talked about having their people yeah, and, uh, feeling like there was a lot of, um, just genuine, like fondness, mm-hmm. even if you weren't best friends with someone, there wasn't yeah. like a, I don't know, maybe, maybe we have yet to uncover maybe. that. I mean, Brad, no, I think Jeff talked, a, no, Brad talked a little bit about being bullied when he was, when he was little. Yeah. School, yeah. Um, like middle schooler by older kids, but, um, well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I was, I was bullied a little bit at Sandia prep on the bus. Mm-hmm. I, when we were at Sandia prep and I took the bus home, our bus went up through like four Hills. Um, so I was on like that bus and I was like the last, I was like the last on. So I was the last off. Mm-hmm. Right. So they picked me up last and we went right to Sandia prep. So I had to ride the whole ride through. Mm-hmm. And I mean, do you guys remember Mr. O'Malley? Like the bus oh, yeah. driver called ahead because I was being bullied and Mr. O'Malley came on and yelled at our bus. Wow. So I hope that I wasn't someone that I hope I wasn't that person to someone in high school or middle school. I think Jessica and I took the same bus when we were in middle school. I think we did too. <laughs> there were some characters. Yeah, there, was, there were some characters. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the bullying question is an interesting one because we have not heard that yet. Um, and we've also had a couple of people when asked if they have a regret say, I wish I'd been nicer to people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the folks who've said that, I thought, hmm, I don't really remember you being not nice. But, um, you know, we, we've only had a what a uh, 12% of the interviews done so far. So <laughs> we'll, we'll keep collecting stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope out. they're not I'll out there. Out. I'm not naive enough to think that they aren't, but you know, it would be nice yeah. to, yes. It would be nice for yeah. those people to at least feel heard or at least, you know, yeah. Collective apology. Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. Okay, yes, so you ready, ready to do the flash yes. round? Have you prepped you for this? Um, I probably over prepped for it, so I decided I'm just gonna just gonna go with my gut here. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I'll do the first question, okay. uh, which is, who was your high school crush? Um, so if Deborah is listening to this right now, she is probably laughing because she's like, "Oh crap, this is gonna take forever." Because I was <laughs> so boy crazy in high school. But I would just like to like every boy of the class of 1989 and probably 88 and 87, probably 90. If you like, I probably had a crush on you, right? If you were an athlete, if you were in a play, if you were in a band, if you sat next to me in class, if you sat at my table in the dining hall, if you held the door walking into the administration building for me, I probably at some time had a crush on you. So go to sleep tonight knowing that someone at the academy did indeed have a crush on you and it was probably me. The list is far too long. Seriously. I love it. Okay. 
I love that. And you managed to get out without naming a single person. And you just said everyone and no one all at once. You can, you can ask Deborah. Did Susan have a crush? Yes, she. Yeah, yeah, probably junior year. Oh, yeah, there was that one time when he did this in humanities class. So, yeah, she definitely did then, too. Well, you put yourself in a great spot in the athletic league. <laughs> yes, sure. Oh, yes. Let me just tape you up. Let me just yeah. tape you up. <laughs> I also always had really good dates to sorority formals, right? So, you know, that's the benefit. Right. I, I remember the, the line being, I said. I sit. Yep. Ice it. And then people and would make fun that. of it. Yeah. I think I might be pregnant. I sit. <laughs> I think I my off. I sit. They would make so much fun of us because that's just what we did for everything. <laughs> okay. Sure. Question number two. Yes. Munch pudding or veal birds? Discuss. Oh, munch pudding. All the way. Um, mm. But I want to make sure that we never forget the nothings. Yeah. Right? Like, come on, people. Don't forget the nothings. The nothings were, I loved the nothings. For our listeners, Susan, would you explain the nothings? So they were um, industrial paste, puff pastry, spread (laughs) with a frosting that can only be described as Crisco with gritty sugar and some sort of chocolate adjacent flavor. (laughs) And yet we still loved them. (laughs) Right? Yes. Nothing's day. Come on. I did not like nothings. I have to, oh. I have to say I didn't like them, but was, um, was it the Crisco or the gritty frosting? It was like, there was a reason it was called nothings. I would eat it and I just felt like it didn't have any flavor. They also crumbled when you bit into them. So yeah, it's yes. a mess. Like yeah. Right down the front. Yep. <laughs> Thank you for that memory. Yes. Though. The nothings. Don't forget. Don't forget the nothings. Okay, question number three. Yes. What was your signature style or clothing brand? Did you have sort of a, a thing that you say you, you kind of were going, an, Im, a, a, an image you were going for? Yeah, I, um, I probably wanted to look like someone out of a Gap catalog, right? Like I probably, yeah. I think I was probably already pegging my jeans by then and scrunching my socks and wearing a lot of solid colors. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty sure that I would have been the gap, maybe a little bit of like limited, um, and then yeah. swatch watches. I had so many swatches. They were awesome. I had the clear one where you could see all the guts in it. And then you would tie, like you'd get this watch that you could see the guts on. And then you'd get those little like bands and like twist them around. So you couldn't see the watch at all, but you had like those shock protector bands on it. Yeah. They were like shaped like a little barbell so you could slide it around Mm -hmm. and then twist it up with different colors. So swatches. I feel like the Apple Watch today took a lot of what Swatch Mm -hmm. was trying to do with all of its different watch faces. Mm -hmm. And gosh, I love Swatch. Replaced by robots. Mm. Yeah. Question number four. Yes, even Swatch. Question four. What car (laughs) did you drive in high school and how did it meet its demise? I did not drive in high school. I got my license. I was a graduate of McGinnis School of Driving, defensive driving, whatever they called it. But I I just never had the desire. I didn't drive until the summer between freshman and sophomore year of college. Um, So I was always bumming a ride with Deborah or with Amy, especially Mm -hmm. Jeff. So thank you again for the rides, guys. Um, So I did not have a car. It's 
that big. It's interesting. Yeah. So many people today, so many kids today decide that they don't want to drive yeah. their drive now. But back then that was unusual. Mm -hmm. But so good on you. You were a you were a trendsetter. Yeah, me and Jocelyn, right? I didn't realize Jocelyn didn't drive either. So yeah. I thought it was like really, really obvious and that everyone knew that about me. And then when Jocelyn said she didn't either, I was like, I didn't know that. Maybe people don't notice the things you think they notice. So. Question number five. What song or band would be on the soundtrack of your high school experience? Okay. So it is not the music I listened to. I was the U2, mm -hmm. Depeche Mode, Duran Duran. But I want us all to go back to the senior prank night. Um, sorry, Carla. Okay. I think this is going to bring up. I'm sorry. But after we had stuffed <laughs> Mr. Cuz office full of paper, there was a band of our classmates that played in that amphitheater. Mm-hmm. And like, we're all laying, like some of us, I don't even remember who all was there. I don't even remember who was in the band, but in my mind, I'm just giving Chris Boson and Brad Ryan credit for it. So if you guys weren't in the band, sorry. And for those of you that were, sorry. Um, but they played Patience by Guns N' Roses. And I just was like, why? I mean, like, that's a song that I can't hear that song to this day. I can hear a U2 song and I'm not immediately back in high school. I can hear a Duran Duran song and I am not immediately back in like a moment in eighth grade. I hear that Patience by Guns N' Roses, and I am immediately back in that amphitheater on that senior prank night hearing that song. Shed a tear cause I'm missing you. I'm still alright to smile. Girl, I think about you every day now. Was a time when I wasn't sure, but you set my mind at ease. There is no doubt you're in my heart now. Said woman, take it slow, it'll work itself out fine. All we need is just a little patience. Said sugar, make it slow, and we come I, I, and I, I never would have admitted. I mean, I probably had to ask someone who sings this song because I never, I curated my music collection and what I would let people know I listened to. Like the Chicago and the Air Supply tapes were like hidden away so no one would know I listened to them. There's no way I would have bought a Guns N' Roses tape. No way. It was not what the brand that I thought I had to project. Right. Yeah, that was a cool <laughs> night. I remember I that, that concert at the amphitheater. A concert is a little bit overstating, right. but- I remember them playing in the amphitheater that night too. Yeah. Really. Can we crowdsource and find yeah, out who, who those players were? Like who, who was playing or who else would it have oh. been? I was trying to come up with the obvious folks and Chris and Brad were the only ones. And I'm like, man, did, did Ar Guy and Sam McVay come back for that? Or no. did, I don't know. Did Ar oh. Arthur Bloom play? Oh. doesn't seem like his music. I don't know. Yeah. Was Cushman there? We're going to have to get mm -hmm. some, uh, yes. some input on that. We need answers. What I think is interesting, and I don't want to like make the flash run go longer, but you know, it's interesting. A couple other people have sort of said, you know, including Guy last time, ah, you know, I really did like that music and I would never have admitted mm -hmm. to going outside of, yeah. of my mm -hmm. niche of yeah. what, what, how I identified. And even though I was not really a metalhead, 
I had to pretend I was. And I just think that's so funny. Like, I think we all had those guilty pleasure Mm -hmm. bands that were like, I'm just going to pretend I don't like this. (laughs) Nobody nobody like air supply. (laughs) Shut up. Tease your bangs higher and take that back. (laughs) All righty. Next question. What high school teacher? My turn. Oh, your turn. Your turn. Yeah, teacher. What yeah. high school teacher had the greatest influence on you? So I'm going to give dual credit. Um, obviously, we've already talked about her, Lynn Gatewood, um, also Miss mm. Coleman before she got married. But Lynn Gatewood, I spent yeah. I spent so much time with her. Right. I mean, it was yeah. it was the two of us on the football bus when Coach Carroll wouldn't let anyone speak because they had to have their game faces on. I mean, we were like. It was, I mean, and that was, that was an undefeated team. So let's not like doubt the outcome, right? Like he probably knew what he was doing, but I mean, Lynn and I like went through so much together just from like athletic training. And then from an academic perspective, um, Dan Entwistle, he was, he was my advisor. He was such a great writing coach. He was, um, yeah, Mr. Entwistle. I still call them like Mr. (laughs) You know, I get the whole calling it's it's hard for me to get over that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, when we talked with Nancy Spencer last time, I, I kept wanting to say Miss Spencer. <laughs> I know. Mr. Nadler yelled at me at a reunion. He's like, can't you call me Mike? And I'm like, no, Mr. Nadler, I can't call you Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> Same with Mr. Smith. You're lucky I don't stand up and call you sir when you walk in a room, okay? Just stick with Mr. Nadler. <laughs> hard to unlearn. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite hangout spot, either on or off campus? So on campus would have definitely been the locker bays, you know, hanging mm-hmm. out in those. Off campus, if I was going to get into shenanigans, it was going to be with my church friends. So we'll let that sit there mm-hmm. for a second. Um, and a lot of them went to El Dorado. <laughs> and so their equivalent of the Dion's parking lot was the Burger King at Montgomery and Wantabo. Oh, and oh. maybe we all ended up out Barstow on the same Mesa drinking the same Bartles and James, but we congregated our, our kind of like Dion's parking lot was that Burger King. So that was kind of where the party started there. Cool. Yeah. I had a lot of Albuquerque high school friends. So mm-hmm. I, I, re- I understand the difference, you know, there yeah. were definitely like the, <laughs> yep. yeah. Different places to congregate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you think back at high school, do you have any regrets? Um, I will try and shorten this story, but those, um, was it our sophomore year that we got to pick the trip that we went on the, the, the Bear Canyon trip. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and like there was a bird watching option that I signed up for and let's face it, if there was a person that bird watching was designed for, it was Susan Stokum, right? Like, I'm sorry, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that I should not have gone bird watching, but for some reason I didn't make the bird watching trip and I wouldn't let my mom fight it. And so I ended up going on this hiking trip um, over on the Arizona-New Mexico border, and I had the worst time. I struggled. And, and I, don't, I don't even remember the people who were on the trip. It had absolutely nothing to do with any of the people on the trip. I can't even remember who they were. Um, for me personally, I struggled with the hike. I was absolutely miserable the whole time. We got up to the top of the mountain, and the teacher that had come up with us um, was struck by altitude sickness and the boys had to like create a stretcher and carry him down off the mountain. Um, Like that whole trip was just awful. And I have never slept in a sleeping bag again. I am not one to seek out. I mean, I might like, you know, 
go to a waterfall if I'm in Portland or something like that. But it, it basically killed a lot of my love of like the outdoors mm-hmm. and especially like rigorous wilderness stuff. And I'm like, maybe if I just let my mom fight and get me on the bird watching trip, maybe I wouldn't like have such a resistance to that or such bad memories mm-hmm. of wilderness things mm-hmm. since then. So that would be their regret. That was a brutal Which is awful to be like, I wish I let my mom. That was a brutal yeah, trip. Wow. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember who the teacher was and I rem- I knew at one point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember who it is. I just don't know if he would want to be like. Was it Joan Gray? Was. Yeah. Was Joan so Gray. I, yeah, I just, I didn't know if he'd want to like this many years later want to be like out of it. No, I just remember him. Like, I mean, gosh, it can happen. To yeah. Anyone, right? right. And I mean, we all did. I mean, it's not like he was coming from New York mm-hmm. city to take his first mountain oh. on or anything like that. I mean, we were all acclimated to altitudes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just yeah. one of those things that happened. Wow. Yep. Well, if you could go back in time and tell your high school self something about the future, what would it be? Um, <laughs> just suck it up, Susan. You're going to live in Iowa. No. Um, <laughs> Learn to I, love it. <laughs> you know, and I, I mean, this is one of those answers that I have thought about because, again, I have the, the pleasure of having listened to 11 or 12 of these prior enough, like, guy. I listened to Guy Ewing most recently. Um, And so I have thought about this. And I think the thing that I would just want to tell myself is that, you know, when it comes to to the state that our world is in today in a time when all of us are really trying to like, keep our privilege in check and acknowledge our privilege and make sure that we're doing that. I think that, that my academy education is a source of privilege that I often let run amok, right? Like I tend to have this academic snobbery or like this intellectual you know, like, you know, I mean, my friends actually do call it my academic privilege, you know, because I'll say something and I'll have a friend who's really, you know, she's a really good friend and keeps me very accountable to things that I've told her I want to do in terms of how I want to live my life. And she's like, that's your academic privilege coming in check. So it's I, I wish I could just tell myself like, you know, back then to look out for that. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm highly aware of what color my skin is and how I identify and what my, you know, sexual orientation, I'm, I'm highly, I have a lot of other areas to find and privilege, you know, my, my income, but that academic one sneaks up on me all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I would just want to make myself more aware of that earlier. Mm-hmm. That's so mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Um, okay. Our last question for you. What would yeah. be the title of your high school memoir? Um, this is one that I didn't want to like think too much about because I wanted to just see what um, it would be. Air Supply is a really good band. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly because like what I said, and like you said, Carla, like people, they just, they hide like what they really, really enjoy because they think they have to. Right. Yeah. And so not that I think Air Supply is a really good band, but I should have told myself back then that you shouldn't be like, you know, don't be, don't be so ashamed. It, it's okay to like something that not everyone is going to think is cool. Be true to what you like. Hey, Susan, this was so much yeah. fun. And I really, so awesome. your, your sense of humor was one of the things that I most enjoyed <laughs> in high school and you brought it full force today. Oh, wow. It was so much fun to hear your stories and reflections <laughs> oh, and, thank you. And, and digs at yourself. And um, <laughs> it was, it was really, really fun to be able to talk yeah, with you again. You. Yeah. Thanks again for doing yeah, this. So great. Jessica and Carla's high school reunion is written, directed, and edited by Carla Silver and Jessica Slade. 
Our theme music, True Sight, is by Jared Matt Greenberg. Please subscribe and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.